1: Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I am your host Doug Stewart and I have two of my friends on with me. You know them from the famous LCI Roundtable YouTube channel, Carrie Baldwin and Matt Bellis. Matt, you just we just heard your voice cuz you open up our podcast every time and Carrie, you are a writer <laughs> at LibertarianChristians.com, and you are also a regular here on the podcast. Fairly regular, I guess you've been on a couple times as regular as anybody can be. And we're going to talk together about parenting and whether or not there is such a thing as libertarian parenting or what can libertarianism help us with parenting. And and we're also going to be very, very careful to keep our Christian perspective and our Christian morals, ethics, and what does it look like to follow Jesus as we are parents. So the three of us are going to introduce ourselves a little bit and sort of give a sense of when we became libertarians, what is our parenting experience? And by that, I mean, how many kids do we have? And what are their ages? Just so you get a sense of where we're coming from. So I'm going to start, my oldest son is 12. And I have two younger daughters of ages uh, 10 and eight. And when I became a libertarian, my son was like, being born conceived somewhere around then, I don't really remember. And I do remember like, being able to read and do a whole lot more studying back when I didn't have kids. Hmm. Um, So that's when I became a libertarian. And so my being a parent happened as I was becoming more and more into the libertarian movement and thinking through things like property rights and on the economic side about incentives. And so that's just the general sort of 10,000 foot overview of where I'm coming from in terms of my relationship to my experience as a parent and The libertarian movement, Carrie. I'm gonna let you go next.
2: Well, um, I've got three kids as well. My oldest is 14, uh, and then I have a 13 year old daughter. So let's see: oldest is 14 year old boy, then 13 year old daughter, and then 10 year old boy. And I became a libertarian around 2008. You know, when Ron Paul was running for president, and so this was about when my oldest was two years old. So I was I was a new parent, and prior to that, I you know, (laughs) thought of myself as a red blooded Republican, but yeah, I think my becoming a libertarian certainly coincided with, you know, the early years of my parenting, but I didn't really start applying or thinking about parenting in terms of libertarian principles for, you know, several years after that. But yeah, that's, that's essentially where I'm coming from.
1: Matthew.
0: Well, I've got three kids, David, Theodore, and Adderin. They are seven, five, and three. And I actually became a libertarian before I was a parent. It was around the time, uh, a lot uh, around the time, the same as uh, as Carrie. You know, I find it rather interesting whenever you're talking about libertarian origin stories. <laughs> it tends to be <laughs> rather uh, frustrated conservatives or disillusioned liberals who uh, find mm-hmm. their way to libertarianism. And as I was really coming to the realization that I was one, I really started to do a bunch of research. And of course, thank you for putting in the uh, the disclaimer there, Doug, that, yeah, I had the time to do it back then, to actually <laughs> research these things. Mm-hmm. And I did a little bit of the work, you know, about what property rights means and what does the non-aggression principle mean. And, and yeah, I, I, I jive with that. I agree with that. But then, of course, my mind drifted off to, to parenting. And uh, I can only say on this side of being a libertarian and a parent, I only wish and pray for the kind of parental libertarian confidence that Stefan Moiladou has, or however you say his last name. Because uh, mm-hmm. I heard some of what he says, don't agree with everything, but it is fraught with peril whenever you're thinking about uh, parenting and uh, in a libertarian and Christian way.
1: All right. Thanks, guys. So. I think we want to start this conversation a little bit by thinking about, like, everybody has different ideas about what it means to parent their children. Now, we all come from the Christian perspective, which is Mm -hmm. that we should want to raise our children up in the Lord. That's the way my mother always put it. You know, what does it look like to teach your kids to follow Jesus? There are other ways to think of it. You know, we think of ourselves, we think of libertarians, we think of ourselves as having goals. We have, you know, ends that we want to achieve. And so as we begin to think about what is the goal, if you will, of parenting, I think that's kind of a question a lot of people have, like, what's the goal of parenting? Um, (laughs) what, What do we think of? And what are some things that come from the scriptures that we can sort of, you know, hang our hat on, if you will? I, I have
0: to say, though, I do love uh, English turns of phrases uh, mm. because the the phrase "up in the Lord" just always makes me think that God is some sort of cubby on a
1: shelf somewhere that you're trying to put your children <laughs> into.
0: But sorry, that's just how my mind works.
1: Well, but. did you did you know I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little brief aside because this is the language thing is really really fun for me because I listen to a lot of like podcasts <laughs> on language and like all up in my is like a term of intimacy. Oh Um, really? And so yeah. So when you say up in, that's what I think of. It's like, and I don't mean not intimacy in a you know sexual way, but just like intimacy as in like a personal space. Yeah, right. You know, she was all up in my grill. Like she was up in my personal space. That is what the the meaning of that is. What sort of podcasts are you listening to, man? I (laughs) John McWhorter, man. Oh, okay, gotcha. Lexicon Valley. Anyway, back to the main topic here. You like English terms of phrases? Wait, no, that's not the main topic. So we have goals when I think of what I want my kids to do outside of just go get me a glass of milk or something um, (laughs) or go out and pick up, pick up the trash in the yard or whatever's, whatever's happening other than the like immediate goals I think of, I want them to be kind. I want them to show love to other, to other people, especially to those people who are, are needy to those who are in, you know, in their world that, that might, you know, reflect in like the kids who are unpopular, the kids who don't, have a lot of opportunities or whatever that may be. Somebody who's actually hurting on the playground, if you will. And so having tenderness and care toward other children and other people and empathy, those would be things that I think of like that I want for my children. And oh, and lastly, and actually more importantly, or most importantly for me, just for a personal reason is thankfulness and gratefulness for what they have and to be thankful for, you know, their interactions with people.
0: Yeah. I actually, I have to step away from how you phrase it in terms of goals oh, because sure. because I look at it more in the realm of targets that there is a specific theme in my parenting or what we do as a couple between my wife and I that has a, a general target that we're trying to hit. And mm-hmm. I, of course, take the, uh, the great commission, uh, not just as, you know, going into far distant nations, but the nation unto which I live and the nation of my household, that my first and greatest and uh, most educated disciples should be my children, that Mm. uh, I should be raising them up in the Lord, uh, and that I'm trying to get them to a target where they are in Christ and they are a part of the church and they are learning what those morals and that worldview is. And instead of saying, you know, on June 31st, June, is there a June 31st? Let's say June 15th. Cause they all no. 15, but June, <laughs> June 15th, you know, 2030, my child will receive the Lord and, uh, and everything will be great that I'm just trying to get them to a general target of that idea. So instead mm-hmm. of trying to constrain myself in a goal, try to think of it in terms of, of, of targets. So that does, mean discipline. That does mean how they behave and how they act. I'm not going to get it right. I'm not I'm not perfect, I'm not a perfect parent. I'm not even a perfect parent to my children uh, or an expert on on those kids. The only person that can is the Lord and all I can do is try to be as faithful to God's commandments as I can be. so I and once fell swoop I need to take off the pressure of trying to be a perfect parent and really just try to give them the the general targets that I want them to hit and try to discipline them in those regards. <laughs>
2: So, I guess I take a little bit of a a different perspective on it i I kind of think of parenting as more of gardening like I know generally what's been planted and and I water it and I nurture it. but you know each one of my kids is a unique individual, and so I think part of my my goal or my aim is to nurture their individuality and who God intended them to be. And certainly there is, you know, the elements of bringing them up in the faith and teaching them about scripture and and what we believe. And I do leave more of the, you know, conviction of the heart to the spirit. So, you know, we're going through and, you know, teaching them the things about what we believe as Christians, but how the spirit uses that in their life is going to be individual and, and unique. And so I just sort of allow that to happen. And as far as, you know, anything else, I think it's about really caring about the fact that they are each their own individuals and uh, with their own ideas and interests and goals for their own life and nurturing them towards that so that they can, mm-hmm. you know, they can be independent and take care of themselves as, as adults.
1: Yeah, well, I like the garden metaphor. I don't. I don't know if anything you just said there would Matt would disagree with, right? You no, know, I actually like Carrie's answer better, so I'm going to adopt that.
2: one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. See, I that's, why, that's why we
1: have three of us on today, <laughs> yeah. so we can kind of learn and, and grow. I,
2: I didn't say that to mean that I was disagreeing with Matt. No, I I'm think, kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I wanted to make that clear.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Libertarians tend to do that. Here's why you're wrong.
2: So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. We do <laughs> or do if we
1: don't ex- or if we don't say it exactly the way you did, we must we must be thinking you're wrong. <laughs> exactly. That's right. right. So we have to clear Wait, are you saying Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I think the word it, it's funny. I I know that there are a lot of words out there that are sort of Christianese and sometimes we have to, you know, update our lingo a little bit to sort of, you know, help other people who are not that don't share the same vocabulary to understand what we're talking about when we talk about theology. But I think one of the words that like should always remain among many would be the word discipleship, the Mm -hmm. word disciple, you know, it's not so archaic and arcane that people don't know what that means. We use it in modern language in some sense, but, When I think of my children, I think of them as disciples. And what does it look like to disciple them? Or in Carrie's metaphor, what does it look like to see them grow? What does it look like to tend to what their spiritual development is? So their spiritual development is kind of a long target. I like the way you thought about that, Matt. It's like a little, you know, you're not thinking about like, how do I get them to do all the right things today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day? It's like, all right, how do I grow them up in the Lord so that they become Christ-like? And so that they, you didn't say these words, but my parents used the phrase, walk with the Lord you know, Mm because they they like that, you know, it's like, you know, how's your walk with the Lord going, Doug? You know, that kind of thing. So when we think of the way in which we do this as parents, as Christians, I wonder sometimes if a lot of libertarian Christians try to apply too much libertarian theology, if you will, if there's such a thing, or libertarian (laughs) political theory to how they parent in sort of a practical way. You know the Bible doesn't give us specific here's what you do when your kid's having too much screen time and is talking back to you, right? Like mm-hmm. there are limits to what the Bible can do, and so we have to use wisdom and apply it and in a way that that works for us without violating scriptural principles elsewhere and so sometimes we reach out to libertarian ways of doing things and and I'll give an example when i when my kids were younger, I was reading. It was by Butler Schaefer called Boundaries of Order. And he has this page or two in there about a situation where kids were being forced to share. And I was like, huh, what? You're right. You know, I never thought about that. Like, I always thought I'm just going to make my kids share because I need to teach them to share, right? To make them share. And then all of a sudden, I'm reading this chapter, or several pages in a chapter about how if you do that, you're basically teaching children to be obedient to anybody who tells them to do things that are that are supposedly good for them. And that could mean things like you just listen to all the progressive leaders that, you know, want to tell people, "Oh, well, if you just, you know, give more in taxes or if you do this or you do that and and that that's what's good for you, you need to do it." So you're preparing children for just simply sort of obeying the state whenever whenever they become adults because they never had a choice in the matter. If you want to teach children to share, you don't make them do it. Was was kind of mm-hmm. the, the point there. Right. And that you let children realize or give them the sort of, not experience, you don't like manufacture the experience, but you let the experience play out that if they don't share, and they're known as a child who is selfish and doesn't share, they're not going to have friends. Those friends aren't going to play with them, that there are going to be consequences. And then as a natural result, then they will very likely become sharing, especially if you're nurturing them through like the experiences that they're having. So if the child is not being told, hey, you know what, you should share and you'll have more friends if that's a goal that you want. And so you're teaching children to sort of interact with people on a sort of voluntary exchange kind of basis, even if it's not about money per se. So I remember earlier on thinking through that and thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to do that. And then I was like, oh, I wonder what else I could do with libertarianism. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, maybe if I give them a gift, then it's theirs and I won't make them share it. Right. And so then, you know, they get a few years older, and all of a sudden, the younger sister wants to play with something, and my son says, no. Well, what do I do? Like, he's not even using it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so, there's these sort of like, well, you know what? It's his. He doesn't have to say yes. Sorry, daughter. You don't (laughs) get what you want just because you want it. Matt, you and I had a conversation a while back about this, and maybe you've changed your mind since, but... You had this thought that like everything in your house is yours and your kids are <laughs> renting from you or something. I forget. Is that, is that am, I, am I remembering that correctly?
0: It, it was an attempt and it's not necessarily that I have uh, strayed away from it at all, at all. Cause I, I do bring it up every now and then with my kids, but it is a way to try to let them know there is a concept of ownership that is out there that, You know, if left to our own devices, we want to try and take everything that we can find and pick up and hoard it. It's mine and you can't have it. And all, you know, all that kind of stuff to where our debased and uh, depraved selves uh, tend to, to take things. But I wanted to let my kids know that there is a thing such as ownership. But I also wanted them to know that I want them to share these things and I want them to share the things that they are playing with or have or things that are within our household. So I let them know in in quite a few times that their toys are things that mommy and daddy gives them because ultimately they are mommies and daddies but that we give them to our children for them to enjoy and to play with. And we want them to have a sense of ownership over, but that if we want them to share that toy or whatever they have with their sibling, that we would require them to do that. It was there to try and hit a couple of, uh, uh, uh kill a couple of birds. Again, that whole libertarian idea of ownership, but also understanding that there are other people in the world and that they should share. But also the mere fact that we need to recognize that all good gifts and everything that we have in this life ultimately come from God and that we are responsible to him for the way that we treat the things that he has given us. So in one fell swoop, I'm trying to hit all of those things. But of course, there are nuances. There are you know situational things that come up and crop up. It's not a hard and fast rule, but it is a basic worldview or understanding of possession that I've tried to at least share with my children to let them know that, There is a such thing as ownership. There are things that uh, are going to be required of you uh, if you hold these things, and understand in the future that everything that you have is not ultimately yours. There is a God that you have to be responsible to. I just now realized that I put myself
1: in the position of God with my kids, which (laughs) I don't think that's a bad idea. Well, so here's the thing: (laughs) I, I don't think that's a bad idea. Now, maybe at such a larger age, when they understand the concept of God, right. I just said larger age, higher age, when they understand the concept <laughs> big of Big number, God. small number, <laughs> Yeah, whatever. When they are infants, for all practical intents and purposes, you are God to them. Hmm. Like they are 100% within your care, right? right. And, and I, I don't want to push that too far, obviously. but well, That's a slippery slope. The, well, it can be. But at the same yeah. time, like there is like literally they can't do anything for themselves. Like your right. children now, could, in theory, get themselves food, right? Right. Maybe, maybe they can. I don't know. Your At kids least two taller do than mine. Yeah, they know where the cheese can. sticks are. Let's just say that. They know where the <laughs> cheese sticks are. They can live on cheese. If they really had to and you, got, you, know, you, you and your wife were out and couldn't make it back for some terrible reason, they would figure something out, right? They wouldn't die. A baby would die. So... They are completely dependent. And so I don't think that metaphor is so terrible, so long as you actually pass it on to them that you're not God. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) And if you act like God the whole way through their growing up years, I don't think that's going to bode well for them or you. Carrie, what say you?
2: Well, you know, I think as far as, you know, teaching them about ownership and, and sharing and things like that. I do think that it's it's good to start with self ownership and the idea that you know they own their bodies. And then, you know, you can well at least the way I did it was, you know, to extend that out to say, well, you know, then there's stuff that you own, you know, your toys or or whatever, whoever bought that, they own that. But my job as a parent is to help you get a sense of the responsibility that goes along with ownership. And so you know, when it came to things like sharing with my kids, it was more, you know, I would try to persuade them to share and, and, and say, well, this is a good idea because, and if they said no, you know, unless there was some extenuating circumstance, I would honor that no, because I think that in, in terms of learning about, the ownership that they have over their property and over their body, learning no and how to say no and following that instinct is is really, really important. But when they would share, I would observe as much as I could. When they did share, I would point out to them the good feeling that they would be experiencing after sharing so that I could encourage them and say, look, this is a good thing. I'm glad Mm -hmm. you shared that. So I think a lot of times with parenting, we tend to get stuck on the correction. And I wanted to focus, this was, well, especially after my (laughs) divorce, I made a lot of corrections. But I, I switched gears and started looking at making those connections, making the positive connections so that when the correction came along, it was a little bit more palatable. It made a little bit more sense and that sort of thing. I definitely think that there's a place for teaching your kids about ownership. And one of the things that, that I did with them was if you raise your own money and you buy something, that's your property. And you know, I don't get a say over it because you bought that. And it has really taught them to, you know, take some responsibility in that regard. And I've watched them go out and say like my daughter, she felt like she needed a cell phone. And uh, I told her, "Well, I, was, I, I can't get you a cell phone. I'm not going to do that." But she went out and she worked for you know various neighbors, and she raised her own money to buy herself a cell phone. It doesn't have service on it because she can't sign a contract. But she's learning about you know ownership of that property, and now she's learning time management of that property, and. Uh, she's also learning internet safety with that property, and she's doing it all with something that she legitimately owns. So, you know, I do think that there are some, you know, some some applications that we can use as as object lessons for for kids.
1: I think something between what you two said is, is sort of the way I think of it, and I think we're all kind of like similar in our approach here. Is that the word ownership? And we've talked about this on on this podcast and in our on our articles the whole concept of ownership when you believe in God who quote-unquote owns everything is that we are stewards of what we have been given Mm -hmm. or what we are allotted, however you want to think about it, whether by chance or by providence or whatever, however you want to think about it, there are things within our reach that we can do, okay? And so your daughter has things within her reach that she has accomplished, she has done, she has been given talents. You know, you've afforded her the opportunity to work. Like you didn't tell her, no, you can't absolutely never have one. She earned it for herself. And so, Matt, you're teaching your kids that God owns everything and that there is a God that, you know, expects you to be responsible for what you have and what you've been given. And so in a way, those things are very compatible in that ownership and stewardship are very much tied to each other. In that mm-hmm. we, when we are responsible for things, such as a cell phone that we earn, yeah. then we are then sort of eligible, if you will, <laughs> to to keep the cell phone metaphor. We're eligible for upgrading <laughs> to uh, larger things in life. <laughs> Love it. I didn't even that plan that. Around. Yeah. So I like that.
0: <laughs> I have to say though, Carrie, I do I do like the uh, the positive reinforcement of parenting, and I do believe it is a very uh, libertarian way to think about parenting because. Mm-hmm. If we're trying to at least think about responsible libertarian ownership of ourselves and a Christian mindset of how we bring that together, and uh, and of course we all believe those things are incredibly compatible with one another, that the natural positive and negative consequences— that Mm -hmm. come of decision-making is something that we want our children to fully understand and feel so that if they do have an activity that does garner positive feedback, that we want them to understand that. But we also want them to feel that negative impact because I truly, as I'm looking at it in terms of our actions, consequences, discipline, that's how God treats us. You know, yeah. in the Bible, it talks about whenever God is disciplining his children, either the church or Israel in the Old Testament, the thing that he did primarily was let them feel the consequences of their sin. He mm-hmm. gave them over to their sin. And I feel yeah. that's what we need to do as parents when it comes to any kind of interaction, discipline, and correction, that we need to let our children feel the full consequence of yeah. the natural yeah. uh, uh, uh end result of their, of their actions.
2: I think, you know, I look at our culture today and we, our culture, the the people in our culture don't really have a very good self-awareness, I think, of natural consequences of both positive and negative. Mm -hmm. And so as a parent, if I'm calling out and, and pointing out to my kids, Hey, this is the negative consequence of your action, or this is the positive, you know, this is what makes this such a great thing. You know, if I'm calling that out, I'm also building up their self-awareness so that yeah. they can have that tool when they're an adult. Because, you know, we, we lose that when, when we're not focused on, on teaching that to our kids.
1: So I have a little bit of a confession to make. Uh-oh. Whenever I have asked my children to do something and they just kind of refuse. Now, this has been several years, although I don't say this anymore to them. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> I I still though. So the confession is this still happens, and I and I don't really feel guilty about it. But whenever I ask them to do something or tell them not to do something, and then they go and do the opposite, like they they disobey or they just take their time getting around to obeying, and then they like something happens to them that they didn't want to happen. Like, hey, can you go upstairs and do this right? Or hey, I I didn't hear you flush. Can you go flush? No, I'm not doing that. And they walk in the other room, and then they like stub their toe, or they like. (laughs) Do something that I'm like that wouldn't have happened if you'd listened to me. (laughs) Oh no! Oh wow!
0: I did not think you uh, were going to go that route. But uh, oh
1: well, yeah, no, it was it was uh, it's totally just an internal pleasure in seeing. Oh, oh, see, I didn't even have to. I didn't have to do anything. I you just so you got natural consequences. See, I told you so.
0: Without even really having to say anything.
1: Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, that's kind (laughs) of the thing. And and what's interesting is like. I am a see, I told you so kind of person. I often you have that in. tendency. I do, and Matt, you'll you'll know it because <laughs> you and I you and I see each other frequently enough that you know I'll let you know. Uh, but anyway, those kinds of like natural consequences, and honestly, it works both ways too. Like when you see them get it, that yeah. they. Mm-hmm. They enjoy pleasure. Like I've seen all three of my children buy stuff for their friends or for each other for Christmas with their own money that they didn't mm-hmm. have to. We didn't ask them to or anything like that. And you could see the joy in their faces and yeah. in their hearts. Yeah. You know, one time, my both of my daughters were ordering pretty much the same type of item and it was relatively pricey and one of them had, was $7 short. And because they wanted to play together, my other one was like, oh, I'll just I'll just give you the $7. I want you to have it. You know, it's just something simple like that. It's just they naturally are... You know, And it's just like, oh, it touches your heart, you know?
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and there's, there's one other aspect I want to bring out of that, Doug, because I think parenting also requires a little bit of humbling because there will be times where, uh, and I can remember one distinct time where I was very upset with my kids and I was just like, why aren't you guys obeying me? Mm. And I had this thought that came into my head and it was sort of this, You know, I I was imagining God just kind of looking at me, like saying to me, "Yeah, Carrie, why aren't you obeying me?"
0: Yeah, oh, totally. (laughs) I totally get that. Yeah. After 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 being after being a parent, I can a lot of times see God say, "See, that's how I feel."
2: See, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So there's an opportunity for us to to also step back and be like, "Okay, yeah, we aren't actually God to our parents." I mean, I understand the metaphor, but yeah, yeah. You know, there's there is an opportunity for us to also realize we're learning through this whole thing as well. And, you know, we didn't start out being perfect parents We're we're learning as we go, just as they are learning as
1: they go. So we've just talked about helping our kids understand stewardship and ownership. And I know that there is a slippery slope, if you will, with respect to what does it mean to own something when it comes to being a parent? Do we own our kids And with that sort of leads to, I'm just going to jump ahead to like, where does this lead? Does it mean that we can discipline however we want to? And of course, that ends up talking about spanking, right? So we're just going (laughs) to spend a few minutes talking about this. I don't even know where to begin because there's so many ways in which we could approach the topic of spanking. It is very much a contentious debate in Christian circles because there is scholarship, you know, there's. Christians that say, hey, well, the Bible says, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? You know, you should spank. The Bible says it. I don't have to ask any more questions. I don't have to do any more thinking about it. And then there's other scholars who will say, well, yeah, except if you really took the Bible that seriously, you'd be doing more than what you actually do when you spank your child. Because most people who spank their children don't do it in a way that leaves marks and things like that. They don't do it in a way to like really teach them a lesson. Which is sort of what the Bible <laughs> seems to be communicating in the Old Testament, especially. So there's a lot of like theological arguments about it, but I guess we'll just open up the discussion a little bit here, although we could do like four episodes just on this. Kara, mm. I'm going to let you start.
2: Oh boy. Thank you. Uh-
1: <laughs> <laughs> Tee up and
0: let it, let it rise.
2: Um, well, <sighs> You know, I, I come at this from, from both perspectives, quite frankly, because when I was married, uh, we did spank and there was always something that, that bothered me about it. And just as, you know, to add some context, I was spanked as a child and didn't think that I was significantly harmed by it, but I do think that the way my ex spanked was significantly harmful. Um, so when I went through my divorce and, and, you know, cut off that relationship, I stopped spanking. And I really felt like there were a few reasons why I needed to do that. First, I think theologically, right? Because that's our foundation. That's where we should be looking first. Theologically, I think that a lot of Christians who are pro spanking have misinterpreted what the rod in Proverbs actually means. And, you know, I don't, think. I mean, like you said, Doug, we could (laughs) we could go down a rabbit trail with this. And so I won't Mm -hmm. go into everything. But I think that, you know, there's a lot of evidence and support for the idea that the rod is about instruction and correction rather than, you know, striking somebody and inflicting pain. And it is, it's certainly the case. And we just talked about how natural consequences are effective ways of you know teaching lessons and negative consequences come with pain and so pain can teach us lessons mm-hmm. but i think that there's a difference between the pain that is brought by a natural consequence and then pain that is actually inflicted mm-hmm. by the parent and i don't get the sense that you know even in proverbs 13:24 where it's talking about sparing the rod spoiling the child i don't think that what it's saying there is that that's a license to inflict pain and so I do see that spanking is, well, I I do see that spanking is an act of aggression. It's an initiation of violence, and I do think a child is a self-owner from the moment that conception is complete, and so they're entitled to negative rights, which means that they have a right not to be aggressed against. And I do think that this means that our discipline of our kids needs to be more intentional. I kind of get the sense that spanking is, you know, sort of. It's like the state; it lacks innovation and creativity. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's very, Don't be very, Caesar. very, yeah, very authoritarian. Be, In fact, I I can't help but wonder if this is if if spanking is sort of the heart of of authoritarian conditioning. Quite frankly, so yeah, that's. I guess that's a good summary of of my yeah. take on it.
0: That's a, that's a very, um, th- there's a lot of things there, Carrie, that I definitely actually agree with. And I don't think we're on opposite sides of this or uh, with you and I, Doug, on this at all. Because actually, I really am glad for the way that you started off this conversation in terms of what rights do people or, or parents intrinsically have with their kids and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Because even in the Bible and the uh, looking throughout the Torah, You're starting to see God lay out specific value and rights within even animals, saying, Hey, Mm. uh, on Sundays, your animals get a rest. You know, you can't whip them to death here. Let, let, you know, give them a break. So, you know, there's a good stewardship there that God is instilling in us, saying, Okay. There's intrinsic value even into our animals. And of course, that is the phraseology that you use, Doug, that a lot of people who are very much pro-spanking utilize of that spare the rod, spoil the child, which I have to say is not in the Bible in itself. It's Mm -hmm. not directly pulling out that verse. That Actually, if people want to know, that phrase comes from a poem from a 17th century poet Named Samuel Butler, he had a uh, a poem called Hudibras, uh, where at the end of uh, his stanza is then spare the rod and spoil the child. But what it is deriving from, you're right to uh, carry that Proverbs thirteen twenty four. Those who spare the rod hate. Their children, but those Mm -hmm. who love them are diligent to discipline them. And in our twentieth century, or we're not in twentieth century anymore, twenty (laughs) first century mindset and those goggles that we have on, we tend to look at discipline as hard and strict, Mm -hmm. and the rod coming across your backside. When we start to unwrap that. There is an understanding that the rod was actually more of a guardrail, a guide for the sheep whenever they were going through a a particular area or where the uh, shepherd was trying to keep them from. I've even had some people say, well, didn't some shepherds break the legs of their sheep? I have to say, I've done a little bit of the research you can't find ancient texts where it actually talks about shepherds breaking their legs. I mean, think about that in a libertarian way. You're going to take your clothing factory and disable it in some way. I mean, why would you do Mm -hmm. so? You know, that doesn't make any sense. You know, if the sheep wanders off and you want to keep it there and nearby, you're going to do everything you can to just kind of keep that, (laughs) that sheep next to you, close to you. You're not going to break its legs and then try to feed it. There was a, uh, a story back in the twentieth century, like nineteen fifty or so, where it talked about a Bedouin shepherd uh, who supposedly broke the leg of its of its sheep, and that 's where people got that idea and it's been mm. apocryphally said ever since mm-hmm. but that being said, really discipline is in trying to instruct your kids or ourselves basically in the way that we should go and utilize the tools necessary to us to make that happen. And I'll say this, I don't, uh, spanking is not my go-to. And frankly, I have never spanked my children outside of the playful, you know, pat on the butt or, Hey, let's get going. Let's get moving. You know, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing, which they know is not in terms of a disciplinary corrective action. Right. However, (laughs) I do use it as an option in my discipline when I'm speaking to my kids. I say, okay, so this was wrong, and I'm having a conversation with them. You know that was wrong. We can either take away TV, we can take away treats, we can take away toys, games, or I can spank you. Which one do you want? You know, Hmm. uh, giving them an option to say, okay, I have an array of options here. Which one is less for me, you know, and, and I, I let them make those decisions whenever it is appropriate. There's other times where, uh, you have to make that decision for them, but overall we've, as my, my wife and I have come to the place to say, we don't want to aggress against our children. We want to respect a bit of their autonomy because we don't want people to take advantage of them in the future to have them think that authority has the ability and, uh, and right to do with their person, whatever mm-hmm. they, they so choose. Yeah. But that also, that discipline comes in the form of really feeling those natural consequences. So uh, no, we don't spank, but uh, we do leave it as an option. Mm. So
2: that's really interesting, Matt, because, and I'm I'm glad to hear you say it. Um, I don't know if you have seen the documentary that uh, Free the People put out on restorative justice. I have not, no. You should take a look at it because one of the things, so there's, this is actually a, a method that's being used in Longmont, Colorado, for mostly for first offenders. Sweden does this with violent offenders, and they do it a little bit differently. But Longmont, Colorado does this with first-time offenders, who are usually troubled teens, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But part of that whole process of the restorative justice process is, one, having a conversation between the perpetrator and the victim. Uh, and it's all in a controlled you know, environment. Mm-hmm. But part of the restoration or the restitution that the perpetrator owes to the victim is coming up with a plan for restoration. And the perpetrator is involved in that and they will help, you know, make a decision about what's going to be best for them to change their behavior so they can correct that behavior and move forward without you know, doing it again. And that becomes, they sign a contract at the end of that saying, this is what I'm, these are the steps I'm going to take to not do this again. And I think that what you've described there is, is a model of that in the family setting. And I think it's a very effective model, quite frankly, and Longmont, Colorado demonstrates that.
0: Well, I also think it's rather biblical because God often, whenever we are messing up, gives us options (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, you know he's always saying uh, turn from your sin now come back to me
1: yeah
0: Uh, restore Mm -hmm. your covenant with me Uh, Mm -hmm. you know pleading and saying, you don't want to go down this pathway. Now, God is God, and he has his way and plan of doing things, and I don't have that way. But I want to try and model that with my kids as much as possible, and my kids are, of course, disciplined. Do I speak, you know, <laughs> am I always passive in saying, well, now we can't do that? No. I, am I harsh with my children? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, there was a time where uh, Doug was so kind to us to let us borrow a game console uh, so my kids could understand understand and start to play some games because we thought it would be fun as a family. I quickly found out that my kids are not mature enough to do that. And so I said, listen, I'm very disappointed with the way that you have chosen to act in this. I'm packing this up. You're going to hand it back to Mr. Doug and you're going to thank him for the opportunity to utilize it and apologize that you can't use it anymore. And that's, yeah. what, they, that's what we did. We drove right over to, to Doug's house. I had them get out and say those exact things. So, you know, we we definitely want our children to understand and feel discipline and know what the consequences of their their actions are. But we don't need Mm -hmm. to aggress against them as persons, but we do need to guide them directly.
2: Well, and I think that's really key with that word discipline is we've come to associate it too much with this, you know, heavy handed corporal punishment sort of thing. And that's not what it is. I mean, discipline. A derivative word of that is discipleship. Right. And that's teaching. That's you know, teaching and correction. And it's it's loving and it's not, um, and it, certainly it can be firm. You can set firm boundaries and you can say, no, this is dangerous to you. But you're explaining why you're not just saying, you're not just no. putting up the boundary and, and saying, no, don't jump, you know, don't look over the wall. You're saying this is why this boundary is here. And no. you're really helping them grasp that that idea.
1: Yeah, so Carrie, the 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 biggest thing that I got from what you were saying is that <laughs> spanking seems to be sort of like the state being uncreative in doing mm-hmm. anything <laughs> other than just using violence. Yeah. And that like maybe there's room in my mind for that, but I don't know. It just seems like, you know, lack of creativity, lack of ima- creative imagination, I think is the word you use. So let's let's switch gears with the creative imagination part. We'll use it, We'll spend a few minutes here. One of the things that I loved about being a parent, loved, as if I'm done, <laughs> love about being a parent, uh, is I was thinking in my head about like when my kids were younger and helping them understand the idea of incentives. Mm. I remember listening to the Freakonomics podcast and Stephen Dubner was saying that he's like, oh, well, I'm an economist. So I'm going to help my wife potty train our children by using incentives. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and what happened was he learned that the incentive structure Change when he started introducing the incentives he thought that would get her to potty train well. Mm -hmm. And so the concept of getting your children to have incentives or giving your children incentives to do certain things can be manipulative, but it can also be a really powerful way of getting them to realize that making good decisions and healthy decisions is actually beneficial for themselves. Right. Not just in like, oh, well, if I am very quiet while we walk through the store, grocery store, I'll get candy at the checkout aisle. Right. Like that could be one method of it. And I admit I have used that. I don't use it very frequently. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, you need to be efficient and you need to give them absolute like, you know, train track level boundaries. You stay on this track, you don't mm-hmm. get this really nice thing because right now we are focused on a task and as our family, it can't take forever or something like that, right? right. And so the idea of incentives comes to mind. Are there any other like things about that you learn from, you know, economic analysis that you've sort of used inside the home? I'll
0: let Carrie finish up, but but I just want to say that when it comes to potty training and trying to give kids incentives, there's one crucial aspect that you must recognize that if you don't (laughs) have it, it's not going to happen. And that is demand. (laughs) (laughs) If your kid has no desire (laughs) to make it happen, it ain't going to happen. So yeah. you can try to incentivize as much as you want. But there, yeah. I- if there's no at least somewhat desire or demand, so it's not going to happen.
1: let me go Keynesian on you here. <laughs> can, do you know how to stimulate demand? <laughs> no, I'm oh serious. Gosh. I'm, I'm going to give a very practical tip. Okay, go ahead. We didn't know this until our third child. But since you brought this up, one of the keys... <laughs> in potty training, isn't just to be normal and make sure your kid goes when they normally have to go. You basically make them drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and drink uh, and drink. Uh, 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 so, um, yeah, I, I was so glad that I was able to throw in the Keynesian uh, <laughs> joke there. there. That go. was uh, very good. All right, Carrie, what do you That's think?
2: brilliant. Well, I use incentives in our homeschooling model. You know, we talk about self-interest and, and what the kids are interested in, what they want to do with their lives. And we use that as a jumping off point for, you know, teaching all the, the subject matter. So like right now, my oldest son um, is pretty hyper focused on airsoft. And all he wants to do is go <laughs> out and shoot his airsoft gun. He, and um, it is so, New Mexico. So it is. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that provides me a jumping off point to say, hey, there's some physics behind that. You want to talk about that? Hey, there's some history no, behind mom, that. I don't want to talk mm. about that.
1: He does. <laughs> no, he I'm does. Kidding. He,
2: that's and awesome. it, it's really, it's really interesting that, you know, if you can take their own interests, their own. Wow. You're, what almost, they're, you're
0: You're turning me on to that because, you know, as he's shooting there, you're like, well, that's interesting. How do you think that projectile got out of the gun like that? You know.
2: Well, yeah, well, and we went on YouTube. We went on YouTube, uh, and this was just a couple of days ago. And I typed in "physics of airsoft," and we found a really short video that explains the Magnum effect. Oh, and yeah, <laughs> nice. So, yeah, that's that's I use incentives and and self interest all the time in yeah. in homeschooling because otherwise, like, he's not he's not the least bit into like. If I had to sit him down in a desk and give him a stack of books, that kid would never. Ever touch it mm, right. ever, so you know it doesn't do him any good to to try and school him that way, and so we use self interest and I, incentives all the time.
0: I love it because it could be, hey, here here's all the reasons why this go boom. Now let's go make
1: boom.
2: Exactly, yeah, <laughs> that, and go. that's the idea. Yeah, <laughs> so love
1: it. yeah, love it. So yeah. Well, guys, I think we've exhausted our knowledge and explanation of what it takes to be a great parent. What do you think? Exhausted?
2: <laughs> yeah, exhausted. <laughs> we have barely scratched the surface.
1: Oh, oh my goodness! I, this should I think be a whole series. Just, yes, we we should we should probably should. I mean, the things that I have written down that I want to get to is like, can you create a command economy within your family? Uh, <laughs> that was inspired by my recent <laughs> camping trip. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I to- well, I have a very good story about uh, about trade, but we'll have to say that for next time. So.
1: Ah, okay, okay. So I will say this, and this is, I I say this only somewhat tongue in cheek, but Carrie, you will, I I don't know, Matt, if you're experienced with this, I know, Carrie, you would agree. You are an abusive parent as a libertarian if you do not at least buy one of the Tuttle Twins books for your children. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: The Tuttle Twins books are awesome. Those are great.
1: We've had Connor on the podcast before, and, and and I'm guessing that most of our audience understands or is familiar or has heard about the Tuttle Twins. It is an amazing set of books for children, and my wife and I learned not only like new principles, but like oh, that's a better way of understanding mm-hmm. and explaining it to another human being, let alone wow. a child. So yeah. yeah, wonderful materials. We're gonna end with that, and maybe we'll maybe we'll have some other material in the future. With more fun stories and maybe some mishaps that we'll admit that, you know, went wrong or something. I don't know. <laughs> we'll we'll have lots to, more advice in the future.
0: I'm going to go over to Doug's house and borrow all his Tuttle Twins books. So
1: <laughs> oh,
2: there you go. You know,
1: I actually bought double copies of like the first <laughs> six or seven. You are welcome to borrow them.
2: <laughs> Yay. Hey, and Matt, I yes. have a Socratic seminar that uses the Tuttle Twins books.
1: Oh, Really? yes I, 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 if
0: there's one thing I definitely want to steer my kids away from it's the Socratic method so please no.
1: <laughs> so Matt why is that no I'm totally kidding, <laughs> I'm, totally kidding. I'm kidding now we'll have to wrap it up at this but uh, everybody thanks for joining us and we will hopefully talk about this in the future
2: Hey, podcast listeners. Since you like listening to audio content, we wanted to let you know about a new audiobook titled Called to Freedom, Why You Can Be Christian and Libertarian. It's read by me, Jacqueline Isaacs, one of the contributing authors of the book, and every download helps to support the Libertarian Christian Institute.
1: To learn more and to download the audiobook today, go to calledtofreedombook.com.